Hi, and welcome back to Real Estate, Keeping It Simple. Again, I'm your host, Ray Dove with REMAX Eastside Brokers, Inc. here in Bellevue, Washington. For you new listeners that are out of the area, I'm just east of Seattle, but I covered the whole east side Seattle area. Today, I thought I would just kind of briefly talk about the craziness in our market again. Low inventory in King, Snohomish, and Pierce counties. And the interest rates, yeah, they're bumping up a little. The press makes it sound like they've jumped from 3% to 15%, but that's not the case. But it's made enough people nervous enough to where buyers are jumping into the market. And I know each market is different. Snohomish is different than King County, different than Pierce County. And again, Snohomish is, is north of Seattle, uh, Mill Creek, Edmonds, some parts of Bothell, all the way up to Everett. King County, Seattle, Bellevue, Redmond, Issaquah, and then Pierce County's down towards Tacoma. So each market's got different dynamics. But here in the east side, Bellevue, Kirkland, Redmond, we are seeing homes go on the market, of course, selling within a week, because most people put them on, have a couple open houses, and review offers on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And whereas before the holidays, homes were selling for, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand dollars over the asking price. Now they're selling for $900,000 over the asking price. So what do we do with that? As a seller, great, good for you. You could put your home on the market and sell it for a lot of money. But where are you going to next? Gonna sell, go rent a house? Well, you might wanna look at that rental market first because that too is depleted. Homes to rent are very hard to come by. So maybe you got another home that you can move to out of the area. I'm hoping you do. As a buyer, how do you compete in all this madness? What do you do? Who can help you maneuver through this madness? How do you get your offer looked at and accepted? What are some of the other tricks and tools that we could use? Well, today in part of my podcast, I've invited a guest, Lori Osmus with Washington First Mortgage. And I thought she could best help us a little bit understand the dynamics of what's coming from the lender side of it. What are they saying? with their buyers if they're getting pre-approved. In fact, I saw a statistic the other day that refis have really dropped down and new loan purchase applications have dropped three to 5%. So people are getting discouraged and not getting pre-approved for financing. So I thought it'd be best to have her tell us a little bit more about her experiences right now, what she's doing to try to help her agents and the buyers that she's getting approved for financing. So, Lori, thanks again for wanting to be brave enough to be on my podcast. Got anyway, it. no, tell us a little bit more about you, how long you've been in the business, and some of the trends that you're starting to see currently in our now ramped up early spring market. Okay, hi everybody. Lori Osmus with Washington First Mortgage. Uh, we're a licensed mortgage broker in Kirkland, Washington, although we do cover the whole uh, Washington state. And, uh, Mortgage broker just means that I, I can shop your your loan of 50 lenders, only pulling one credit report, so that uh, you get the, the advantage of getting a, a better interest rate by using a broker, not being stuck with a bank. So, so let's, answer to let's, question. Let's, let's pause there for a moment, Lori, so to get it really dial it in for my listeners. So I encourage you to go to a mortgage broker just for that very reason, what she said. So if you go to Chase Bank to get a a loan approved and a chase denies you or your portfolio doesn't fit into their Pandora's box of what a loan should be, look like for them, then you have to go get a, a submit a loan at Wells Fargo and go through the same thing or go to Bank of America. 
or and do the same thing all over again. So you're running around from bank to bank to bank, and each bank's got their own set of criteria what kind of loans they can offer you as a buyer. Or as a mortgage broker like Laura and her company, you make loan application with her, and her job is to take your package and share it around to all the different lenders that are out there to see who's got the best interest rate, the best cost of acquiring the loan, the best overall program for you. Now, it may end up being Chase. It may end up being Bank of America, but at least she's shopping it so you're not running around town having your credit report ran three different, four or five different times from different lenders. You're not having to try to sell the program to these lenders as to why they should consider shaping their programs they offer to your needs. Is that correct? That's correct. <laughs> there you That's go. That's very good, yeah. That's in a nutshell, yep. All right, so as you were saying, sorry to interrupt, but I just want to really make them understand why they should really reconsider that. Now, if you're a high-end buyer, high net worth, then you have different avenues for sure. Still, a mortgage banker would probably be a great place to start, but you might have uh, private lending privileges that the average person doesn't have. You might be able to borrow against your stock, against other assets, and that creates a better lending opportunity for you. But that's only if you're high net worth. And today, I think high net worth would mean that you know, your estate's probably $5 million plus. Anyway. So, go on. Okay. So, all right. So, okay. Well, I've been, uh, I've been uh, in the business since 1986. I know I don't look like I look like it, but um, oh, I guess I shouldn't say that. But anyway, um, <laughs> and I brokered loans in, in Seattle for my whole life. So, uh, I know the business inside and out. And what I, what I do, though, because it's very important that your loan is fully documented in the beginning of the file. You can either have a really good experience with your mortgage or a really bad experience. If you don't, if we don't document up front everything that's that is um, your whole financial situation, then something may come up later like a surprise, and we don't want that, right? Because um, all of the banks have underwriters, and an underwriter is like an auditor, and they basically audit your file. They do a background check, and everybody that is involved in the file, including the appraisal, myself the real estate agent, and just make sure that everybody's on the up and up because there's, there's just been a lot of fraud in our industry. So I am really um, well-versed in, in making sure you've got your documentation so that I have a clean approval. And then I go the extra mile and I submit your loan to the auditor um, before wh while you're out making your offer so that we know that nothing's come up in the background that will uh, be some sort of weird surprise later. So what and, are some ideas of being fully documented? So you certainly you want... You want to make sure verification of employment, how long they've been in that employment, and it's the same line of work that they're used to doing. Right. Verification of deposits. Yeah, I look. I, I actually look at all that stuff before I go to an underwriter because I'm like a pre-under. I'll, I'll just pre-underwrite the file, and make sure everything's good before I actually go to the auditor. Um, and I'm and my my approval ratio is really high because I don't I don't uh, I I kind of tell it like it is. Um, I, so, because I know the business so well, so that's it's really important that you have an experienced person running the show. Because the, the second thing I do to help, so I get the underwriter approval, is I'll call the listing agent and I'll just sing your praises and um, make sure they understand that your loan has been already audited. You're pretty much ready to go because a lot of times you're going to be up against maybe a cash offer, and so the the agent will say, "Well, this cash offer is going to close in, in a week or two. And, but if I have you pre-underwritten, then I can close in a week or two. So it's, it's almost like a parallel. Uh, so when I call the listing agent, I say that. It's like, I understand you've got offers there, but we can still close it 
quickly because I've got it all pre-underwritten and ready to go. And those are the, the couple of edges that I can help you with in buying the home. Um, so, yeah, and then again, like Ray said, we have, we have the best rates and fees out there. And um, I've got a team that will help me follow up and make sure every, there's like 10 companies that go into your loan, like 10 people we have to follow up with and make sure they're, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing to close on time. For example, the appraiser. They're, they're the very interesting because there's an appraiser shortage out there. So I'm always on them to make sure they're, they're going to get the appraisal done on time. And uh, that's just an example of kind of what I, what I have to do. Yeah, okay, well, that's great. Things done. For yeah. the buying public, I mean, what we're uh, continuing to see is people are waiving building inspections or waiving the, the low appraisal clause. And so how yeah. does a buyer best prepare for that? So as a buyer here listening, you know, if you go in and the home's listed for a million five and you agree to waive the low appraisal and the home appraises for a million two and you're the successful builder, bidder on the home, you have to make up the difference from the appraised value to the purchase price. You might say, why should I have to make up that difference? Well, because the lender, to protect their interest on that asset, they're going to loan you what? 80% or 90% loan to value because you're putting 10% down or 20% down. So they're going to do it based upon the appraised value of the asset. So what do we do in those situations? I mean, is everyone running around with an extra two, three, four, nine hundred thousand dollars $900,000 in their hip pocket to buy a house? Because so how do, and then as a reminder to my listeners, years ago it used to be Lori would get the file, and this is pre-2008, so many years ago, and then she would get it, look at it, and then they would submit it to an appraiser, one or two that she liked working. And then she would go to them and say, hey, you know, do everything you can, I really need value on this. So the appraiser would go out and do what he could, he's supposed to stay with a certain geographic area and most recent sales and you know he he kind of likes the lender that he's doing business they send him lots of appraisers so he, he might tweak it a little bit but today because of that tweakness and I'm not saying Lori or her firm did but a lot of firms kind of that's how business was done not say it's right or wrong but today she gets the file and she takes the appraisal request and puts it into an appraisal pool and, the, and then the pool goes in and they just pick off appraisers to do the appraisal and they might know the market they may not know the market so we really have no you know there's and you can't talk to the appraisers the homeowner as a realtor because that will be considered undue influence we're supposed to get true value but what i'm seeing and i don't know you're probably dealing with more files than i am i'm seeing a lot of these homes even though they're being way over overbid is that the homes are coming back being appraised at the purchase price. Are you seeing that or is that just an illusion on a couple of occasions with me? <laughs> uh, I've, I've had most of them come in at value because I think the appraisers understand the, that the market is going up really quickly so they a lot of times they'll well, they're supposed to write three comparable sales but in a lot of cases they'll provide like six and uh, just to prove that the market is increasing um, and they just explain it to the underwriter why it's increasing in you know, the Seattle market. And, um, and then another thing that I can that I do um, to try to help is just kind of look for the next week to see if, cause if something's going to close really soon that matches your house, then we'll just tell the appraiser, hey, wait just a minute because this is going to close. So you can use this as a comparable sale because it's coming up. And I've been really successful with that in the Kirkland Bellevue area, the areas that are most 
the most um, desirable because um, they because it's just you have to you might have to wait just a little bit to get the value, but as long but it works though because you you yeah. don't want to have to pay that extra three hundred thousand if your price is low, so that's what we do to help. Okay. So what do you what do you, what do you see or what your company see in the next thirty days, ninety days, six months, the trends of the bond markets and interest rates? I mean they they're talking about the Fed uh, raising rates uh, come March and I think what the buying public needs to really understand is that the rate that they're really talking about is the the rate that the Fed charges the banks borrow money from the Fed. And that's really how the system works. But then the banks decide from there if they want to charge a fee above that. And right now that fee's at zero. So they might. What, what's the speculation at your company, what the Fed may do? Come on. Okay, well, first I'd like to speak to the history of interest rates really quick because they are, I mean, in my opinion, these are still the lowest rates in my whole since 1986 career. For example, in 1970, they were between 12 and 18%. Um, 1980, 18 and 12%. 1990, they were like 7.7%, 8.5%. And right now, they're around 3.5%, which is in, in the history of, of rates is really low. And I, when people say, I mean, I, I do talk to a lot of people every day, and, and I'll quote a 3.5% rate, and they'll go, well, that's way too high. And I'll be like, well, it's not that high based on the history of interest rates. These are still rock bottom, low interest rates. Now, they're, the target for the Fed that I've understood is that in 2022, they're gonna do three rate hikes. Um, and like Ray said, that's not directly um, to the mortgage interest rates, it's basically to the prime rate, which is that the, the, the rate that uh, banks loan each other money. So, but it's kind of a trickle down effect because it actually, sometimes when they raise the prime rate, it actually lowers the mortgage interest rates. Mortgage interest rates are based on the 10-year treasury note which um, a lot of people either refinance, sell, or do something else in the first 10 years of the loan, which is, I think, why they're basing it on the 10-year, because the loans always pay off. So, so yeah, so sometimes it actually makes the rates go down when that when they raise the prime rate. But then eventually they start heading back up. It's kind of like a, a weird cycle. And then in 2023, there's supposed to be two or three more rate hikes to the banks. So, but, you know, it's all about inflation. I Here's my, now this is only opinions, right? But when COVID kind of devastated everybody and a lot of people weren't working and the economy was not doing well, we saw the rock bottom under 3% rates I've never seen in my entire life. And um, now that COVID's over, it's almost like, yeah, of course inflation's gonna show higher because people are out spending money now, doing more things, can, you know, aren't as afraid and, and et cetera. But they've seen the highest inflation rate right now that they've seen in like 40 years is what they're saying. But I think it's because of COVID, it was so low. Right, so it hopefully it's going to just kind of even out. Um, well, and I have been, I have what every time that they raise the interest, like when there was an election, not this last one, but the one before, their interest, the thirty-year fixed went up to like five percent, which historically is still not that bad. But um, but when people stop spending so much and everything slows down, they lower those rates back down. They always do to, to stimulate people from buying, or they come up with other things like adjustable rate mortgages or. Um, to you know, creative financing ways to get a lower interest rate for a certain amount of time, 
because maybe you won't be living in this house for more than seven years. Right, if the lenders need to turn money, and that's where they make money on the, the loan fees and servicing. It'd be yeah. interesting to see what it does to property values. I mean, some people feel like now's the time because as soon as they raise interest rates, the market's just going to crash. And so we hear that dialogue out there too. It'd be real interesting to see if the market continues to grow. My projection is that the market's still going to grow 5% a year. I mean, we look at the history of real estate. It's always been 5 to 10%. I think what... Especially in our area. Especially our area. And then, you know, and, and we see this all throughout the nation. There's just no inventory. People aren't putting their properties up for sale. And then you add to the mix, yeah, the lower interest rates are nice, but look what, what you know, at least in the Seattle, Silicon Valley area, you know, look at the dynamics of all the money that's floating around. Yeah. The, the, you know, you have a, somebody come out of college today and they start at six figures if they're in the IT field. Yep, exactly. Then you have dual income. Yep. You know, I'd like to be 30 years younger. <laughs> I know, me too. That would be awesome. Yeah, get into the IT <laughs> business. So, well, what are, what are some of the things buyers, when you talk about documents, I mean, it's, you know, it's that verification appointment, verification deposit, it's tax returns, it's, it's, you know, credit report, you know, what other things would really, I mean, I agree with you 100%. Before anyone goes out and looks at a house, they need to be pre-approved. Right. And I highly okay, recommend so you chat with Lori to get pre-approved. And you have that piece of paper in your hand, you're like a cash buyer. But if you're going to go out there and just look around and then think you're going to jump and buy a home, subject you getting a qualification letter, the seller's agents and the sellers are going to laugh at you because they've got people, you know, in some cases, multiple offers. Now... I had a, a home in late, uh, early fall, and we ended up selling it for 250000 over the asking price, but we were the only offer. Wow. And then That's I amazing. sold a home in December, one sold for $400,000 over, and then another one, we only had one offer. Wow. So you just, you just don't know what the pulse of the thing is going to be, right? Yeah, so. exactly. What are some of the other secrets? I mean, you talked about it's great that you want to call the seller's agent and try to convince them why your your buyers are the ones they should choose to buy their home. But, you know, if they're being outbid, how, how do you overcome that? Or have you been able to find people willing to well, say, you know, Lori, you're a nice lady. You sound yeah. nice. Your buyers are nice. Yeah, we'll take their offer. It's $200,000 less than what we're sitting on. <laughs> right. Well, I mean... Some people, I mean, I've noticed a lot of people are sentimental about their houses, especially if they've lived there for like 10 years or something and they're, and they're selling and they're moving. And um, so sometimes writing a letter to the, to the listing agent and sending even pictures of your family so that the seller, the listing agent can show that to the seller, sometimes will give you an edge over someone else because this, if the sellers aren't sentimental at all. I mean, that's like a, it's a long shot probably, but it, every little bit helps. Uh, so if the seller can see how sincere you are, how you really need this house. Um, let's say it's in the school, you know, the school district for your special needs child or something. You know, if you just explain your situation and why why you need this house, sometimes that helps. And so, if you've got your loan pre-approved, and I've got right on the pre-approval letter, this file has been underwritten, and then you've got your case as to why you really want this house. Sometimes the two will come together, and, and it will work. And just asking the listing agent what to do to get the offer accepted always helps. I just yeah. always ask them, what do we have to do? Do they need to come up on another hundred? <laughs> You know, yeah. I, and we don't want that to happen to you, but but if you really want the house, 
that's how we have to get it is to just ask. yeah it's it's challenging i've chatted many times on my podcast i work with some people we we wrote up 30 houses saw probably 500 houses i set on six building inspections over the course of nine months and they finally gave up moved back to tennessee and they were making oh 50 100 150 200 000 over the asking and yeah like, and what about everybody waiving everything like these days you have to waive your financing your appraisal, your inspection, and on a condominium, you have to waive the, the condo rule book thing that you're supposed to look at. Yeah, well, and that's, like, and, and you have to review that before you make an offer on the resale certificate because state law mandates you have the right to review and approve of that. And the people I've good. seen on some of those condos, people are accepting condos just because they want a home, even though it's it's currently a baseline funding or it's only 20 percent wow. reserves and to me it's like oh my gosh then you're going to see a special assessment in the next year or two right, can you weather exactly. that storm right are you finding that most of the agents you work with are having success in this market or are they having Boy, the same challenges everybody else is having a lot I, I unfortunately a lot of a lot of uh consumers don't understand until they actually make a couple offers what they're up against so it feels like the, the, the agent has to make like two to three offers for the, for the applicant to go, oh, I guess I really do have to waive everything, or oh, I guess I really do need to over offer 50 to 100 over asking. So we try to educate you that up front, but um, when somebody sees a house listed, they want to just offer the list price. And so, um, but that just doesn't work in today's market for some reason. I mean, just, I mean, it's just, there's just too many people, we have too much industry here that want to live here. So, so I think does that kind of answer that question that to educate, to try to educate you on how to make your offer so it will work basically means that you pretty much waive everything and offer more than asking price. Now, when you have me and Ray, we're going to make sure that if you're waiving appraiser, that it's not, he's going to look at the, at the comparable sales and just see how bad that might be. I'm going to look at the resale certificate if I can before you buy the house. That's the condo resale certificate book. Of rules. I'm going to use your loan approved by an underwriter, so you know you're you're audited. I mean, so if you're waiving these things, we at least do our due diligence so that it feels good that you're waiving these things. Because if you waive these things and then something goes wrong, you lose your earnest money. Right. So well, we, there's that. That's, that has to be very clear. Right. It's kind of like on my one one of my previous podcasts not too long ago, I chatted about. Uh, this home that I had sold in Redmond and I was really concerned about the home appraising for what it ended up selling for yet there's another home in the neighborhood that was a thousand square feet larger and it sold for the price that we sold for and the like, great Scott and, I, and appraisers go look at that and how we right? compete wow well then talking to the agent come to find out the reason why it's a thousand square feet large is because the people added a thousand square feet to the home. They did wow. it without a building permit. Oh my gosh, isn't that something? And then they they marketed it as a six bedroom house and they never went and submitted for an approval for a larger drain field design with the health department. No. Oh so no. it was really only a three bedroom home. Yeah. So the appraiser had to appraise the value based upon a three bedroom home without the extra thousand square feet. And that's what saved my seller to get their price because they were at the right, uh, the same square footage as that other house. Right. But how would so, you yes. feel if you were a buyer? You bought this home, you waived the, the the septic, you waived the inspection, you waived the appraisal, and then you move in and find out the addition wasn't even permitted. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what scares me a little bit. I'm not trying to be a pessimist. It may sound it. So, I don't know, with that said, I mean, what optimistic. <laughs> 
researched. Do well, you? but you researched it, right? And you knew you knew there was a problem, so you might not advise waiving appraisal on that particular. You know, that's kind of what. And and you can also call the listing agent and say, "Hey, what's up here? This is going to be a problem." Yeah, no. On any any on any of the loans. Well, I also saw when I looked at that listing, they 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 didn't have all that documentation on there. So I thought that was odd because to me, I put the, all the information pertaining to that property on supplement so people can make a good decision based upon the information they have and if I don't have all that information then that would be a, a red flag for anyone I would think so why isn't that information readily available exactly right? exactly and I had one past client of mine decide not to listen with me because I knew every little thing about the property and so that's another challenge so they went and hired somebody else they didn't know anything about the property oh my because gosh. even though they didn't want to disclose it all in Form 17. I had to. I have an obligation. I knew the history of that property. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. So, industries, there's so many different hiccups. So, with that said, we could talk forever. I appreciate you listening today. And then once again, this is real estate, keeping it simple. Uh, I appreciate uh, Lori coming on. I'm going to have Lori come on every week, maybe every other week, talk about what she's seeing, what the trends are with the interest rates, uh, how are the underwriters what she calls the auditors, what are some of the things that they're really looking for that's a, a, a problem for them? Can you buy a home if you filed bankruptcy five years ago or if you got a forbearance loan? How does that equate to the situation? You know, so many of those things have gone on in the last two or three years. Before you put your home on the market, before you get started on going out looking at homes, I would strongly encourage you to talk to Lori. I'll let her give you her email address and her phone number and at least chat with her before you make loan application and find out if your situation will fit the, uh, what, her, uh, what her company can provide for you. And then chat with me. Let's have a discussion about how I can help you set the stage to succeed in uh, our real estate market. And I don't see our real estate market getting less competitive for a good couple of years, even with interest rates going up a bit, because there's just no inventory and it's not gonna magically show up overnight. We have, at the end of January, in King County, less than 500 homes on the market. And I'm talking about 500 homes and condos in a market that has 2.3 million people, 500 properties. Wow. It's so it's it, 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 it's gonna and, and our new construction nationwide, we typically have between a million four and a million five new construction homes on the market. We have less than four hundred thousand wow. out of fifty states. That's crazy. It's crazy. So it's not gonna change anytime soon. It might cost you a little bit more money per month to acquire a home but uh, you know I don't see and maybe you can help us as we go on on the future podcast of what the market's starting to trend and are we going to see I mean Zillow's come out and Redfin's come out and said they still see a five to six percent growth in prices on a national level to me that tells me that markets like ours are going to continue to go up 10 15 percent for them tell everyone here how do, how's the best way to reach you what's your what's your 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 phone number Oh, okay. My phone number is 425-466-7517. You can call or text me, or you can email me, Lori A, which is L-A-U-R-I-E-A, at WF, like Frank, MTG.com. Right. So W, like Washington first. <laughs> and trust me, she'll get back to you, she, anyway. you know, whether she's yeah. in the office, whether she's down helping a client, or whether she's flying around the globe. 
she always seems to respond. So, yeah. uh, so she's very responsive, and you can reach her and talk to her and get all your questions answered. And, and you know, like, you don't have to work with her, but I'd certainly encourage you to talk to her, and you might find out she might be the best lender for you. So, once again, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I'm at four two five six eight one eight six three zero or Ray Dove Remax. That's all one word: R A Y D O V E R E M A X at gmail.com. Have a great week. Thanks for listening.